Hello, and welcome to the Church Newtown Square podcast. If we can serve you in any way, or if you'd like to learn more about our church family or the Acts 29 network, please visit us at churchnsq.org. That's C-H-V-R-C-H-N-S-Q.org. And now, let's listen in to today's teaching. As we transition back to John, just reminding you that we stopped the Gospel of John right before Advent. And uh, I said that we would be picking that up on our way to Easter. And so this morning is the last time that we will be uh, looking at Paul's letter uh, to the Corinthian church, specifically in chapters 12 through uh, 14. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to spend this time uh, hopefully synthesizing for us just what Paul has emphasized in these passages and leveraging it as an opportunity for us to be focused on uh, the main things. And I don't usually end, you know, we preach book by book and we, we do sections and we don't usually have an opportunity to kind of slow down a bit and before we jump into the next one just remind ourselves of what we've studied. But we have that today. And so um, I wanted to hopefully help us see looking back and then looking forward, what it is that Paul has taught us, what we've learned from his word, and then how can we specifically apply that uh, to the life of this local church, learning from what uh, Paul has written to the Corinthian church. If you recall, the Corinthians uh, uh, had a draw or a, an, a, an, a, an a, I don't know what you would call it, a, an a, I want to say affiliation, but that's not, you know how the word is not coming out, an affinity. Thank you. It had an affinity towards the ecstatic, the exciting, the uh, spectacular. And the reason that that was true is because they were coming from uh, a pagan religion that emphasized the, uh, the ecstatic, the, the highly, quote-unquote, spiritual evidences of God or the gods at work in the lives of humans. And the Corinthians' draw to the spectacular is nothing new. They, they wanted... And they were excited. They wanted excitement, and they were excited about their new life with Christ. And I think that we can all admit that we want excitement. We, lo- we like excitement. We uh, want to be entertained. Uh, but more often than not, the, the Christian life to us probably feels normal. It feels a bit boring, submitting to the normality of what God has for us sometimes. And that can be difficult. For some of you, it's not so much, it's not difficult that, that much to be uh, routine every day, but some of us, we like a little flair, we like a little excitement, we like to, we don't like to drive home the same way every single day, back and forth. Once in a while, I like to take a little right turn or a left turn and go somewhere different, and because I'm sick of driving the same route every day. Does anybody feel that? Do you ever do that? You're allowed to, I hear that amen in the back, yeah. You, can, you, you don't have to take the same route over and over again. But what Paul wanted the Corinthian church to uh, get their minds wrapped around and their hearts focused on is that Paul wanted them to focus not on the spectacular but on the gospel. Paul wants them to focus on the gospel and so he moves them towards that. Uh, this week I was listening to an Acts 29 podcast and there was a, a woman I had heard uh, a few months ago at the, at the national conference talking about how churches can grow in hospitality. Her name's Jen Oshman. She's part of a church. Her, her husband is a lead pastor out in uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado. And she made this, this, uh, this uh, point that I thought was uh, kind of 
would summarize what's been on my own heart as we've studied through this. She says, the longer that I'm in ministry and the longer that I walk with Jesus, the more I realize that his means of grace are just ordinary. Being in the word, being with his people, and abiding in his spirit, there's really nothing flashy about personal growth or church growth at all. It's, it's the ordinary means of Jesus through his ordinary saints. God grows us and his church in ordinary ways. And I think this is what sums up Paul's exhortation to the Corinthians. This is what I would hope that you would take away from our study in in these passages. So many of uh, the studies are on the spectacular gifts of the Spirit or the miraculous. And I think that misses the point of the text. We can draw lessons out on that. But the point that Paul writes this entire letter, and in fact, the point for Paul focusing on a particular things in, in the context of worship is that, that he would exhort the Corinthians to focus on the ordinary and then let the gospel be spectacular. Focus on the ordinary and let the gospel be spectacular. And that's my hope for us this morning that this will sink in and, and over time that this will sink into our own hearts as well. As much as it needs to sink into my own heart, the good news of the gospel is not that we need to do something spectacular to be spiritual. Paul already addressed that. He said that what makes you spiritual? It's the fact that you have the Holy Spirit. We don't need to be spectacular to be, uh, to be spiritual. You do not need to be spectacular to be noticed by God. Some of you think that you need to do things to be noticed by God, to be loved by God, but that's not at all true. In fact, it is because that you are not spectacular that God has set his love upon you. The gospel is good news, as we'll see in just a moment, uh, because we could not be spectacular enough for God. There's nothing that we could do that would outshine God. We are, we are before God as creatures, and we are finite, and we are weak, and we are unable to be God. And God does not ask us to be anything more than what we have been created to be, which is created in his image to depend upon him. And this, the gospel is good news because we, though we were not spectacular and could not be spectacular before him, God still rescued us from ourselves. He rescued us from sin and death and he saved us. Jesus saved us. And that is what makes the church spectacular. That is what makes the gospel spectacular. When we are rooted in God's word, I think this is what sums up the things that, that Paul is Consistently, all throughout the New Testament, what Jesus taught, Paul is teaching the same things. That when we are rooted in God's word together, and individually, when we are gathered around his table, when we are led by his spirit, that is how we grow. And when we let the gospel be spectacular, that is also how we grow. And this is what the ministry of Jesus is to us and through us. And so I want that to be the point, that... When we are rooted in God's word and we are gathered around his table and we are led by his spirit, that is how the church grows. That's how we grow. And then when we let the gospel be spectacular, that is when we are are allowing uh, the Lord to use us in the way that he desires to use us. And this is what the ministry is of Jesus to us, and this is the ministry of Jesus through us. So for those of you that are note takers, you want to take out that uh, that little connection card that is in front of you. There's enough room for you to take notes on there. Uh, Two points. One, God's ordinary means for growth. Two, God's spectacular gospel. First, the ordinary means of God's grace. This is what I want to to point out in the last few weeks that we have seen 
the ordinary means of God's grace are uh, three things. It is his word, it is his table, and it is his spirit. And when you think about table, I want you to think about relationship. Because the table is the representation of sitting at a meal with someone. We do the Lord's Supper together. And I want to point that out, the, the meaning behind that in just a minute. But when we think about the ways in which God gives his grace to us, the means by which he gives his grace, his strength, the way that he encourages us is through the word, the fact that we are in relationship with God around his table, and you can even think with one another, and that we are led by his spirit. We see this in uh, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church all through this section. We didn't spend much time, but uh, in chapter 11, uh, verse 33, Paul has just encouraged them to pursue the Lord's Supper in a way that is not defaming the name of Christ. They were practicing the Lord's Supper in a way that was not consistent with what it was supposed to communicate, which was love for one another, gathering around the table, participating in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so Paul was exhorting them in their worship to do the things that were and focused on the things that were helpful for their growth and also for the witness of the gospel. Uh, In the context of worship, the Lord's Supper uh, being wrongly practiced miscommunicates or doesn't communicate at all what the gospel is about, which is peace with God. I was just talking with uh, Mike uh, uh, this morning just before we gathered for singing and, and he's studying Romans and one of my favorite passages is where there is now peace with God peace with God is something that uh, is a war term where peace means that it is, it is the cessations of war have ce- they, they've ceased, war has ceased a cessation of hostility there's no, more, there's no more fighting there's no more, there's no more bloodshed, there's peace and so we can sit and we can eat. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty three 33 says, My brothers and sisters, when you come together, welcome one another. There's the, the relationship that is restored between one another and with God at the Lord's Supper. We see in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 3 through 5, Paul then moves on to talk about the spiritual gifts. And he says, the Spirit's work in the life of the church is such that people are claiming Jesus as Lord. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The evidence of the Spirit's work that Jesus ministering to his church is that we call Jesus Lord. And that not only we call Jesus Lord, but there are different gifts, he says, but we have the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ is working through us. And we all have the same Lord. And so the means by which God grows us and knits us and and pursues others through his body is the fact that we are filled with the Spirit. So the ministry of the Spirit is alive in us. Relationship with one another is because our relationship to the Lord. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 12, 16, if you remember, he says that none of us can say, I don't belong to the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, uh, it doesn't make it any less part of the body. None of us are to uh, experience a sense that we don't belong because we are the body of Christ. That relationship there, we are in relationship to one another because we are one in Christ. There's peace with God. We, we are not separated from God. His spirit binds us. We are uniquely bound together because we are the body of Christ. How do we know that we are acting in Christ's likeness? Well, the greatest of the, these, he says, is love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. That we are to act towards one another in love. That as Jesus loved us, so we love one another. Fellowship with one another. Bound by the Spirit. His word 
pushes us towards this. He says that the emphasis of God's truth is the thing that we should pursue. 1 Corinthians 14.1, what does he say? Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. The encouragement to hear the truth of God, the words of God, that remind us of what God would have for us, what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. J.B. Phillips in his translation says that everything should be done to make your church grow strong in the faith. And so when we think about what grows us strong in the faith, the reason why we did this, this brief series is because as a church, we want to make sure that we are not only growing strong, but that we are growing strong to the ends that other people might know Christ. We do not just serve ourselves just to serve ourselves. We serve one another so that we might be used by God to reach others for Christ. That someone might come in here who does not, and perhaps maybe even this morning you're here and you're just overhearing. You're here to check out and hear what it is that Christians believe. And I, I'm glad that you're here. And we want you every time, whoever it is, to walk in here and say, God is really among them. How would they know? Well, the work of the Spirit, the ministry of the Word, the relationship that they have with one another and with God. There's peace with one another and with God. These are the means by which God grows his church and strengthens his church. We do not need to have something super spectacular, although it is fun to do things that are exciting. And oftentimes, God will work through his church in many exciting ways. That's not the point. The point is that if we just focus on those things and, and believe that if we just do this or if I just do this, then God is really going to be pleased. No, it's, it's the ordinary means of his grace through us. What makes the church strong is not the spectacular, Paul says. Paul says, Corinthian church, you are gifted in every way, but that's not what makes you, you. What makes you, you, what makes you loved by God is the fact that God dwells among you. And he loves you. And his word guides you. And so focus on the main things, not the spectacular, but focus on the main things. Focus on the things that will grow you. The ordinary means of God's grace are given for the, the growth of the church. It is, in fact, Jesus giving us his spirit so that we might become like him. He is ministering to us and through us to one another. His word is revealed because God must reveal himself. We, we cannot know God unless he reveals us. Uh, uh, Moses tells the Israelites uh, that God has revealed himself in chapter 29, verse 29, that God has revealed himself and the revealed things are ours. They're ours to receive. Uh, Romans chapter 1, Paul writes to that church, he says, God has revealed himself in creation and he must necessarily reveal himself in his word. Paul says to Timothy that the word is useful for rebuking and correcting and teaching and instruction. God wants us to, to know him and so that we would grow in relationship with him and like him. The writer of Hebrews says that in these last days, God has revealed himself to us through his son. And so when we look to Jesus, and Paul says, Corinthian church, look to Jesus, look to him and seek his word and seek the truth of God's word, this is the means by which you will grow. And when he talks about gathering around his table, the relationship between one another in the Corinthian church, uh, they were being threatened because there was division. Paul says there's no division with God. When we gather around his table, the reason why you're supposed to gather around the table well, the reason why you're supposed to fellowship with one another well, is because division is not part of God's family. 
division is something that is antithetical to what God has done. And so when we experience grace through God's word and grace around his table, what we are doing is we are following the pattern that seems to be consistent between uh, the Passover, then the Last Supper, then the Lord's Supper that is passed on to the church that we practice as a witness to Christ's death until he returns. And even in the end, the, the Supper of the Lamb. In, in the book of Revelation, John says that on that day when we are all uh, together and judgment has occurred and the new heavens and the new earth, we will gather at a table and we will feast and that will be the Lamb's Supper. That's the picture of the future. So if we, if we don't practice these things now, if we don't get used to these ordinary means, if, if we don't get used to the grace of his spirit dwelling among us and empowering us, then we won't uh, be used to what will be forever, forever and ever and ever our experience. And so when uh, we think about our church, when we think about our local church, uh, and when we think about what Paul has talked about, the summary of what Paul is trying to point the Corinthian church to is the way in which they serve one another, the way in which they use their gifts, the way in which they gather together, they fellowship together, the way in which they eagerly pursue the word of God so that all of these things will be strengthened. This is the ordinary, regular pattern of the local church and is what is uniquely going on right now. Something unique is going on right now as we gather together corporately that we are, you are hearing from the word of God and you are being strengthened and the spirit is at work and we want to pursue the life of the local church because we are the body of Christ. And to be focused on these seemingly normal things, these everyday patterns, it will actually be good for us. It is good that we do this because it's what causes us to grow. It's not that we don't want exciting things to happen. It's just that most of the time, the normative experience of the life of a Christian is the everyday, regular fellowship with God. That when we gather together, that everyday, regular fellowship of God is amplified when we're together and we share with one another, we encourage one another, we hear from God's word together, and then we share that with one another and we grow with one another. And also in grace and in love, we're able to help one another grow in maturity, which means that we are to use God's word to instruct one another, maybe perhaps in ways that we are not living in the way that Christ would have us live. Letting go of faults, letting go of things that we are holding on to in the past, pursuing maturity in Christ. And it doesn't matter what age you're at, Either the ordinary means of God's grace is for you if you're 10, if you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, or 90. There, I've covered you all. I'm not sure who's 90 in here. Ron, are you 90? No. You just have the wisdom of a 90-year-old. The ordinary means of grace. After Paul finishes up chapter 14, he moves into what is point number two, the spectacular gospel. The spectacular gospel. What is spectacular about the gospel? As we and the rest of the world around us seemingly will move towards Easter, but we will have a very different views of what Easter is all about. Uh, peeps are about to come out. Are they out yet? You know it's Easter time almost when peeps are out. Yellow peeps, pink peeps, green peeps. I can't stand peeps. Anytime I've opened up a peep and tried to put one in, I'm like, ah, maybe this year I'll like it. It's just too much sugar. It just, I can't do it. But the gospel 
is something that Paul wants the church to be focused on in Corinth and what God desires us to be focused on as well. Look at verse 1, chapter 15. After all of this is said in the context, now he shifts to a, a new topic. He's, he has put to rest uh, the things that he has encouraged them to uh, be focused on, to do everything in order, be eager to prophesy, verse 39, 14. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but in everything is to be done decently and in order. And now he moves on to say, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, what? I want to make clear for you the gospel. The gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel he preached to them. And he says this is the gospel that you received, something that you had to receive. It was something that you can either deny or receive. Or something that you decide to, after you receive, to take your stand. I want to make clear for you the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here, Paul is shifting, and he is making clear to them something that uh, seems to have been an issue in the Corinthian church. Surprise, surprise. They are an eager church to worship. They are an eager church to do many things, but they are a church that is in process of growing. Isn't it good news that we can be a church that is in process, that we can receive God's word at any point and know that it is not because we've arrived, it's because we are in process that we need God's word. God's, God's word reminds us of the things in which we need help in. And this particular church needed help in reminding, uh, being reminded about what the gospel is, in, in, in particular the aspect of what is central to the gospel, that thing that we are as we enter into John next week, we are going to move towards Calvary. In fact, we're going to quickly get into Calvary, but uh, Calvary means nothing unless there is a resurrection. Paul says, I want to make clear for you the gospel that I preach to you. And this gospel is one that they received. In other words, uh, they took it as their own. And so they were filled with the Spirit because they had received the gospel. They were spiritual because without the reception of the gospel without the the faith and trust in Christ Jesus and his resurrection then they cannot have the Holy Spirit and it says that this gospel is one that they have taken their stand it's that foundation this is what we as Christians stand on we stand on the gospel and so it is vitally important that we all understand what is the gospel what is the good news of Jesus Christ what is this gospel that we receive because uh, some of us have increasingly seen people leave that foundation. They step off of the foundation. They question the foundation of the gospel, the things that they've grown up, up with. Even this morning, I ran into a, I ran into a, a friend of mine. Um, I, I had this routine. It, some routines are good, but I, I had this routine where I stop by Starbucks and I get myself a large enough coffee to wake me up, especially this morning. And bless you for the three pots of coffee that have been made. Um, I bumped into this friend, and uh, he's, he has been a Christian for quite some time, grew up in a Christian home. And uh, I asked him how he was doing, you know, just saying, hey, how are you doing? It's good to see you. And he said to me, he's like, oh, I'm doing okay. I was like, oh, are you still at this church, at this, the, the church that you've been attending? He said, no, I'm actually, I'm actually attending um, something different now. He's like, I'm actually going through a time of questioning right now, and I, 
um, he shared with me very openly just not the things that he was being uh, uncertain about but he said that it was good and and it just struck me that you know as I was thinking about this text coming this morning that when when we begin to question the foundation now let me be clear as a Christian to have doubts about things or uncertainty about things is completely normal it's okay but when we begin to question the foundation with which upon we take our stand and it erodes us we, we can go into very dangerous places this is why Paul says if you hold to the message I preach to you there's a necessity in understanding that what we stand on in our faith and our belief about what has happened with Christ there's a certain foundation that if we if, if that were to go then everything else would follow out. It's, it's like a, a, a stacking a tower, a Jenga. I've already said my hatred for Jenga, but do you ever do those, uh, you know, stack up um, dominoes, and if you just hit the bottom, if you take the foundation away, everything erodes. It falls down. The foundations that we question, uh, if we erode that, that is a dangerous thing to do. It's not good to question the foundations upon which we stand just for fun. If we're asking to strengthen that, if we want to know what it is that we're standing on to be assured of, if we have doubts, that's fine. But, but I'm not necessarily convinced that it is a good thing to just question some of the things that uh, are central to the faith. And, and many of you are familiar with this term, or some of you are not, but uh, it, it's what deconstruction is all about, is deconstructing things going back to the original basically taking down the things of our faith and and removing it and seeing if we can step off the foundation and if everything holds true what is the thing that we stand on well Paul moves us on and he says that what I passed on to you this thing that you've taken the thing that you stand on the thing that you are being saved by the thing that is making you more and more and more certain of your faith the thing that you are uh, depending on to make you into the likeness of Christ if you hold on to this message what what is the gospel that you stand on verse 3 I passed on to you what is most important what I received and here it is here is the reception that Paul received from the Lord Jesus Christ the Apostles that he passed on to the Corinthians which he labels as what in verse 3 he says it is what it is most important here is the foundation with which upon we stand that Christ died for our sins Christ died for our sins without the forgiveness of our sins we cannot stand spectacular before God God is spectacular we are not and our sin is what makes us unspectacular before God God necessarily needs to forgive our sins he needs to take care of our sins before we can be in relationship with him Christ has died for us he has taken the punishment for us according to the scriptures Paul says according to the scriptures all that points Jesus says to the disciples everything points to me with the law and the prophets he says to his disciples did you not know that the Messiah must suffer Christ died and two he was buried verse 4 Christ was buried and that's a way of saying he was really dead so Christ died and then he was buried which means that he's really dead you do not bury someone unless they're really dead I have this 
it happens every funeral that I do. Even It happens every time. And I know none of you think this, but I think to myself, what would happen if the person in the casket that we were about to lower just popped out of that thing? That would be really creepy. Does anybody else have that thought at a funeral? No? One of you. Okay, good. I think to myself, that would be, what if the, what if the rapture, the, the return of Christ came right now? Wouldn't that be cool? Hey, I'm not sure I want to be in a cemetery when that happens. Although, if I'm in the ground, I, whatever. Anyway. Christ died, too, that he was buried, he was really dead, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, which Paul says he was alive again. He was dead. He was really dead. And then after three days, he was really, really dead, but then he was alive. Verse 5, but he didn't just rise from the dead. What did he do? Look at, look at what did he do. What did Christ do? Christ then appeared to Cephas, Peter, then he appeared to the twelve. Paul is saying, not only was he dead, not only was he buried to prove that he was dead, but he rose from the dead. And then he appeared to Cephas. Then he appeared to the twelve. And then who else did he appear to? He appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters. He appeared to more people in the church. Most of them are still alive. And this is Paul's way of saying, like, you know the people who are alive when they saw Jesus. You can check this out. This is one of the uh, evidences of or arguments for why we can depend upon the scriptures because Paul writes in there, Corinthian church, check it out. Like I could say to you, like, listen, you could ask, uh, hey, uh, Andrew and I were, uh, we were at breakfast on Friday and this thing happened and it was pretty funny. Oh, you could ask Brendan, he was there. Ask him, he could give a validity of that. In the same way, Paul is saying, church, you would know someone who was there. Jesus was really alive. He appeared to 500 brothers and sisters. Some have fallen asleep. They, they have gone to be with Jesus. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And then he says, last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. Do you remember what Paul said about listening to him back in uh, chapter 14, verse 37? He says that if any of you think that you are a prophet or spiritual, you should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. Paul himself sat with Jesus heard from Jesus, was taught by Jesus, saw Jesus, and Jesus, because he loved Paul, desired Paul to be used by him to reach the Gentiles, to reach those who are outside of, of Israel. And Paul says, I was born at the wrong time. He appeared to me. Here we see Paul's gratitude of grace. This is the power of the gospel. This is what makes it so spectacular. One, that Jesus was dead and rose from the grave. That's pretty spectacular. Raise your hand if you've ever seen anybody do that. Spectacular, right? Two, that Paul was murdering Christians and Jesus, the very love of God, comes to him and says, Paul, why do you, why do you persecute me? Why are you doing this? And has mercy and grace on him. And it had a profound impact on Paul. What makes this so spectacular is what Paul says, I am the least of the apostles. There is a set number of apostles. This is why we stand on the foundation of the apostolic word. You can trust what Jesus has commanded the apostles to proclaim. Paul being one of them. And what they proclaim is what we put our faith in because it is in direct line with Jesus Christ. Anything else is to be uh, held either open-handed and that is to say that, like, ah, we can learn from stuff, but it's not doctrine. It's not truth. 
If it came from Jesus and it went through the apostles, you can count on it as truth. Some of it's hard to receive. Some of it's hard to understand. Some of it doesn't make sense to us yet, but we can trust it for it is for our good. And Paul says, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the fact that Jesus appeared to me because here he says, I am the least. Not worthy, verse 9, not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I am what I am. God's word spoke to Paul. His spirit brought him alive, and he gathered him around his table and said, Paul, you can commune with me now because there's peace between you and I. There's peace between you and God when you have put your faith in the resurrected Lord. That's, that is the main thing that Paul points him to. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of the other apostles, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God that was in me. It was with me. See, go back to chapter 12. All of us have been given gifts. All of us are filled with the Spirit. All of us, by the grace of God, are being used by God. And who of us is to say that, you know what? It makes sense that God would use me because I'm pretty talented. Huh? Huh? Yeah, right. God, of course God would use me. That's not, what, that's not what any mature Christian goes around saying. What, what do Christians say? Who am I that God would show his mercy to me, his grace to me? Does he know who he's dealing with? Friends, we are in process. We are being used by God. And if we try to be too spectacular, we are taking the focus off of what is intended to be spectacular, which is the gospel. And what makes the gospel spectacular is a risen man. Jesus was fully man, and he was dead. He's no longer dead. He is risen from the grave. And we are going to read an eyewitness account from John, and we're going to go through and remind ourselves that people saw him brutally beaten, nailed to a cross, and put in a grave. And then we're going to hear of the, the witness that Christ is no longer dead, that we just read. Do you believe what was just read to you? Because what I have just read, what is in print, what you read right here, you can understand that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and then he appeared, he was alive. And this is the gospel. Paul will go on to tell the Corinthian church that the resurrection is absolutely essential to the gospel. If there is no resurrection, then we are to be pitied. Because what's the point? Our hope is in a dead Savior. This is what a local church should be focused on. A risen man, a savior sent from God to be sin for us. So as we've studied this, my hope and my prayer for this church and for every church that we plant or help plant, that we would be a church that is focused on the ordinary means of God's grace. That we would be rooted in God's word that we would seek to be rooted in the truth of it, that we would be continually gathering around his table, that not only this table is not just regularly gathered around the, the Lord's Supper that we do, but gathered around the table that we would fellowship with one another, that we would be in relationship with one another, so much so that we would grow together knowing that hard times will come, good times will come, we want to celebrate with one another, we want to mourn with one another, but we can't do that unless we're gathered together regularly and that we would be led by a spirit that these 
ordinary means of God's grace would be kind of our, our banner. And then we would just let the gospel be spectacular. The changed lives, the way in which he's changing us, the good news of the gospel, this would be the spectacular thing that we put before people. It's like, man, let me tell you about what I was before Christ. Now here's, here's what he's making me to be. Let me put Christ before you. We are not spectacular before God, but what makes the gospel spectacular is that God would, would save us and rescue us and one day promise that we would be resurrected just like the Lord Jesus Christ. Ordinary means of God's grace, a spectacular gospel. The sermon you've just listened to is a presentation of Church Newtown Square. To find out more about our church, check out churchnsq.org. That's C-H-V-R-C-H-N-S-Q.org. You are welcome to copy and distribute this sermon to others as long as you do not do it for commercial purposes or alter, transform, or build upon this talk in any way.